Welcome to True Crit, the music podcast where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, nerd out about artists that we love. This season, we're talking about Steely Dan. This week, John Digital and I are discussing Casey Lyde, a.k.a. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael McDonald. <laughs> That's like the big sell of this It is record, the big sell. It? I've been waiting a whole week to say that. <laughs> yeah, we're suddenly in a new phase with the dulcet tones of McDonald. We are. And we just get to hear him just absolutely knocking it out of the park vocally. It's his MO, isn't it? Yeah. Turning up to sing backing vocals and completely outshining <laughs> the singer he's supporting. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got a skill, you might as well just show it off. Exactly. I've come to realise that this record, in my own mind, is a cursed record. Do you think? Yeah. So they had, you may know this, but they had massive problems mixing this album. Yes, they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a bit of the kit didn't work properly and they ended up having to go back and like painstakingly fix it. Yeah. And it held back the release for a really long time. And I don't know whether that had an impact on how it sounds. Yeah, it did. I can go really nerdy. Do it, John. Go full nerd. So they were using a form of noise reduction to dampen down tape hiss, which is a stupid endeavour. Dolby had a version of that through the 70s, through the 80s, but also a company called DBX. And what happened is when they went to listen to the final mix of the record, the sound was just totally fucked and they had to actually go to DBX and DBX had to make them a custom-made module so they could have more control over what DBX was doing to the sound. Oh my and God. Don and Walt were so pissed off. One, they refused to listen to the record. Yeah, they never listened to it they again. They never listened to it again. Two, on the actual release, there's an apology about the sound quality. Wow. And I I read an interview of Jeff Beccaro, who is the Wonder Kid drummer on pretty much all of this record. He said, and as soon as I read this, I was like, I wish I hadn't read that because I'm just going to listen out for it now and it's just going to really fuck my head up. <laughs> he was like, you can hear it in all the symbols, like all the symbols don't sound right. Oh no. And that is very true. I just started focusing in on, oh my word, I'd be so annoyed if this was my record. Kind of just starts off on a back foot with this record and I just feel it's just a very dark, weary, kind of burnt out record. Yeah. That's funny because I actually, on my general notes, first page, top right corner, I've written in capitals, dark as fuck. Yeah. And I did the maths. I didn't do it for Walt, but I did it for Don. Don was only 27 when they made this record. That's mad. Can you imagine, like, the stuff that we're going to talk about on this record and the places we're going to go? 27. Yeah, 27. I'm, it touches on some really difficult things that I'm not 100% comfortable discussing, but we'll make our way through yeah, it. Yeah, there will be some trigger words in this, so if you feel that you don't want to be triggered, it might be best not to listen to this yeah. episode. Step I just want to put that out there, because yes. I'd hate for anyone to have a bad time from listening to this podcast. Should we jump in? Yeah, to the, gosh, Black Friday. What a jolly song this is. <laughs> Do you know what? I love it. Do you? I love it and I love the story. 
The story's wild. It's totally. really devilish. And he's just absolutely delighted about his colleagues chucking themselves off the 14th floor. Because he's going to leg it to Australia with his ill-gotten gains. Speculate against the stock market, anticipate a crash, make money off it. Pretty much the Tories and Brexit, really. <laughs> Basically. I wrote on my notes, the opening notes to this one is, Steely Dan does Led Zeppelin. It has got a Zeppelin vibe to it. It does. It's mainly Donald's vocals, I think. It's the effect that they put on his voice when he's singing When Black Friday Comes at the start. Yeah. It's psychedelic. Yeah, bit of a delay. I love the fact that there is a Steely Dan song that references kangaroos. <laughs> What's the town they mention? Muswell Brook. Yeah, because there's a lot of speculation about where this came from. Walter say that it was literally the furthest town away they could possibly find. And other people say that actually there were people in that tiny little town that had made loads of money from the stock market and had hidden away. But you can never tell with those you guys. Just, like, what are do. they doing? <laughs> I kind of feel like they just looked on a map and they were like, that's really far away. That'll do. It works with the meter of the lyrics. Yeah. It rhymes. It's just all there. Yeah. Um, it rhymes with the word book. Yeah. <laughs> that was Don and Walt's explanation. They were like, yeah, it just rhymed. <laughs> And that's why I just another reason to love them is just you can apply your own meaning to it and you could just fall down a massive hole. Yeah. The words that they choose and they're like really doesn't really mean anything. And we're like, well, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, like, so you like, need to, I really need to know what this means. Yeah. Is Michael McDonald singing on this? I think he's quite low down in the mix. I did try to really pull him out. I think he's on the chorus. You can just about hear him yeah. because there are, there are notes that only he can hear. Yeah, successfully. Yeah. It's kind of one um, of those things, isn't it? When you've listened to this band so much that you can like hear out for McDonald like yeah, every single time. It's pretty yeah, amazing. It, except for I know we're jumping ahead a couple of albums, but it took me a long time to realise that he was actually singing backing vocals on Peg. <laughs> I didn't realise until fairly recently that that's him on Peg. Oh. It's so obviously him, but we'll, we'll cover that. We will get into that extensively in another couple of episodes. Guarantee. Yes. My favourite fun fact about this is that it's actually Walter, not Denny, playing the solo, the guitar on this one. And he actually borrowed Denny's Telecaster. Nice. Because he liked the way it was set up. Awesome. You just cool. assume that it's going to be Denny on yeah. this one. Because this album is Steely Dan as we know it does, doesn't exist on this album. No, the band is gone. Yeah. We are deep into using session musicians. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I, I mentioned Jeff Picaro earlier. We've got Chuck Rainey again. Yes. Doing the bass and he holds it down very well. It's also the first appearance of the amazing Larry Colton who, again, in another couple of episodes, I will lose my shit over. <laughs> but this is the first appearance by him on a Silly Dan record. We have Phil Woods as well, yep. who's on this album later on, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Because 
there's an amazing fact about him. Oh, awesome. I don't yes. know this. I'm excited. Well, um, can't wait to share it with you. <laughs> we start to see different guitarists just playing solos on tracks. Yeah. Which that kind of becomes like a hallmark for mm. the band. Mm. Just getting the right player to do the right thing over the right music. I feel like broadly this album is a transitional album. Yeah. Do you like it? No, no, I don't. I feel like there is a weariness. I think you said the word weary before. Yeah. Feels almost like it's cathartic. You know, they've stopped touring. The band is gone. They are completely in charge. They're kind of trying to break new ground. They're yeah, trying to I, like go in another direction. Yeah, it does feel like they're trying different things out because there are a couple of moments in here like Dr. Wu, I think, feels like a warm-up to Asia. Yeah. And there's another song later on which feels a little bit like a warm-up to the Royal Scam as well, like yeah. two songs. There's, like, there's bits of it that come out and you think, oh, I recognise that from later albums. It feels very much reflective of their success as well. Some of the songs really sound as though they're almost like fucked off with their situation. <laughs> Yeah. That's a good leading to Bad Sneakers. Yeah. Because my notes for Bad Sneakers says, fuck me, they hate LA. They hate LA. They really do. But they make no secret of that. In no. interviews, they are just are so dismissive of LA. Every time they talk about it, they're just really down on it because they don't fit in. Then, you know, they're New York guys. Yeah. And it sort of screams out in this song, which Michael McDonald is very apparent on. I will kind of get over Michael McDonald. For the listener at home, you could turn this episode into a drinking game. <laughs> you know, take a shot every time we mention Michael McDonald. Yeah, you'll be see how you're feeling at the end of the hour. <laughs> I was also thinking about when I was listening to this record that you could almost compose like a Steely Dan flow chart. And the first question would be Is this song about drugs? <laughs> yes, no. Yeah. And if it's yes, it's like, what are the references? Which, which drug? Yeah, which drug? <laughs> this is very much a song about just idiots doing cocaine. Yeah. Frozen Rain. Frozen Rain. It's one of those things where it took me a little time to like click. And I yeah. was like, ah, oh, they're singing about drugs. They're singing about Nothing drugs. Nothing in the Frozen Rain. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael McDonald gets, oh, Michael McDonald, have a drink. <laughs> he gets that line as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're all in on it, aren't they? Yeah, they are. This is another one of those ostensibly jolly songs that's actually not jolly at all. I get the bad sneakers and a pina colada, my friend, stuck in my head all the time. Yeah. Especially since I've been listening to this album in depth. And it's really jolly, but actually it's not jolly at all. And it sounds like they are sick of Steely Dan. Yeah. And it's uh, five names I can hardly stand to hear. 
it's like I'm sick of the band and then he says the other chimp that isn't here yeah and is that Dave Palmer is it Chevy Chase Chevy Chase because we haven't mentioned this but they actually played in a band and Chevy Chase was like the percussionist I I didn't know this yeah this yeah. is brand new information. Sorry, I don't know why I'm bringing it up in episode four. <laughs> <laughs> that just came to me then. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Dave Palmer, but it could be any of them, couldn't it? It could be any because... of them. But he was a founding member though, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty harsh to call him a chimp. <laughs> oh, the chimp that isn't here. <laughs> you know, Donald's just feeling really mean about the whole band, but that's a continuing theme throughout this whole album. Yeah. Is he's really down on, on their success and everything that comes with it. But this song he's talking about this fearsome excavation. Is that his grave? Is he gonna die prematurely because of the excess and and everything? It's like it's a really dark song. Maybe he's feeling the burn of the old like twenty seven. Oh, God, yeah. Because yeah, by 75, it's Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, all 27. Yeah. Mama Cass might be on that list as well. And he, I guess it's kind of become like a real mythology, hasn't it? It has, but it's it's, but, it's freakishly accurate. Yeah, there is, there is a bunch. But then I guess there's a bunch of musicians that all died when they were like 39, so you could say Club 39, but I guess it's just because it all happened quite quickly over a small period of time. Well, I'm 39, so I have no intention of going anywhere. Yeah, don't die. <laughs> no. Uh, well, at least until we... <laughs> we haven't got enough time. Yeah, we've got, we've got to finish the podcast first. <laughs> we haven't got enough time. <laughs> it's strange that he feels burnt out when, you know, with Pretzel Logic is just such a fascinating record because of the ground that it covers that he... I guess he was just feeling like he couldn't do another record like that. Like things had to change. But it was so it was so successful though, Pretzel Logic. Yeah. But it was successful not trying to discredit their work, but they were pushed into like a commercial corner by the label. Yeah. And there's a few moments in this album which feel like he's criticising the label for compromising their artistic integrity. Yeah. And it's easy to forget this only being their fourth album. They've been around for a really long time. That's true. Making yeah. music in other bands. And they probably were pretty jaded at that point. Yeah. And also drugs. Also drugs. And I guess as well, they're just not very open jolly guys no they? no they're just, really not you can imagine that all of the things that come with being famous in inverted commas they would have just been like fuck off actually fuck off i don't mm -hmm. care yeah like, i'm just gonna go and listen to my jazz records yeah and being stuck in la yeah which they hated yeah must have been really difficult for them yeah, it's something that we see in the music industry all the time. I always use Kanye West as a good example. Mm -hmm. It's like Kanye West always wants to be famous. He's got about three or four records, which pretty much just talk about wanting to be really famous. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he gets famous, he doesn't know how to be famous and he doesn't mm -hmm. know what to do. And mm. then you kind of watch him fall apart album by album yeah especially in the 70s where record labels kind of ruled supreme yeah it couldn't have been much fun to suddenly be like a cash cow yeah 
and I suppose as well with them deciding not to tour, I would imagine that would have really caused some headaches. Mm. They're under pressure and not enjoying it. Yeah, it hangs over this album. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? This record's just a real dark cloud. Uh-huh. That I think that's like the best way to describe it. Everything about <laughs> it, like the, just everything about it. Apart from they still managed to, to make all their songs sound really jolly. They do. There's one song later on, which is probably the jolliest, but has the darkest yeah. theme, which yeah. we'll, we'll get to. Oh, one thing I did want to say about Bad Sneakers. Generally, Donald's voice on... Well, Bad Sneakers as well. And I think Rose Darling, the next song. It sounds like he's trying... In my head... Sorry to mention Michael McDonald again. <laughs> but it almost feels like he's trying to impress Michael McDonald with some of his vocal performances because he does seem to be trying different things. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I guess, you know, when you have such a high calibre singer it's going to have an effect on you isn't it you're going to kind of want to push yourself a little yeah, bit more it's, it sounds a bit like he's showing off in front of his dad <laughs> <laughs> sorry Donald <laughs> anyway Rose Darling oh god god my, <laughs> I don't even know where to start my note, and my note starts on this with loads of grim sexual references yeah really grim yeah really Which, grim it's interesting because it's obviously purposefully seedy because we know that between Walt and Don they're more than capable of writing some astounding lyrics mm. And so we pretty much get a song about a man excited to cheat on his girlfriend and yeah. have anal sex. Yeah. It's just horrible. It's, it's just it's like, really just feel like really like, it's like, you know, hearing your parents have sex or something horrible oh like that. Oh my God. <laughs> This is the creepiest episode yeah, sorry. we'll ever do. Now, I, I, my opening lines on this one is incredibly confounding song because the verse is really kind of M.O.R. Yeah. If you don't really pay any attention to the lyrics, it's quite a jolly, like, you know, it's pretty jolly. And it was not until there's that little build-up just to the chorus and it's the guitar and, I think, the piano that play the same melody building yeah. up to the chorus and then it, the chorus kicks in. And it's got that, those incredible harmonies on it. Oh, they're just unreal, aren't they? Just... Really beautiful. They did a similar sort of thing in Barrytown in yeah. the previous episode, where it's a pretty sort of common or garden melody for the verse, and then the chorus or the you know, the bridge will kick in and just completely knocks you off your feet. But, yeah, this is really gross. <laughs> Talking I, about a spore. Oh, that's, yeah, <laughs> like, that's, like, so horrible. You won't feel it till it grows. Oh, man, it's a really gross song. I wrote a note that says, Donald sounds more like Randy Newman in this song than Randy Newman. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. No, this could actually be. This could work quite well as a Randy Newman song. Yeah, I, I don't really want to hear Randy Newman singing about bum sex. Yeah, I don't think he did. No. I don't think he did. He, he didn't go there. <laughs> so, Dean Parks plays on this one. Yes. Yeah, he plays the solo on this. Oh, 
and it's great. Yes. So unfussy. It's such a clean solo. Yeah. Against the quite filthy lyrics. I love it. The whole sound of this song compared with the actual words it's really confounding yeah i don't they really just, know they what they to say about they it they just don't marry up do they at no all. they don't it's that thing isn't it that they're incredibly good at and we've continuously made a point of saying it they are amazing at writing a song that you could just have on and you just think that song's amazing yeah and it's only when you come down to the lyrics that you're just like oh man <laughs> this is just like it's just like a gold plated burning dumpster <laughs> it, it really is it i really think that's is. the best way to describe it donald does struggle a bit with the high notes on this one yeah i drew the clenched teeth emoji <laughs> on my notes <laughs> but again i feel like he's showing off in front of michael mcdonald yeah who just lifts the chorus yeah he's like literally singing chords with his voice yeah it's, it's like beautiful. it's like such an amazing harmony yeah that he's singing it he must be overdubbed like five six different times mm -hmm. i just wish it didn't make me feel like i've got to take a shower every time i listen to it oh this isn't the worst yeah. one though is it no we go on to yet another really dark horrible song <laughs> yeah it's just relentless yeah uh, on this album there is no respite to the oh, there's one song i think later on that's a, not jolly but kinder yeah we'll see if our notes compare okay i'm sure they do yeah i'm sure they do they usually do <laughs> yeah so, so this has the longest title yeah of any steely dance song yeah it's overly long isn't it daddy don't live in that new york city no more in it's the word they the word that yeah. yeah yeah it's ridiculously long so i can imagine this song being played in like a smoky dive bar at like i don't know two three in the morning yeah and i've i've written a bunch of hammed people line dancing to it <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a real it's a real like blues shuffle about a pimp yeah it is about a pimp well i think it is about yeah a pimp. about a retired pimp he's kind of just lost his way and he's moved out to the suburbs i think mm -hmm. that's why it references that new york city because although he, he's in the state he's not, oh, in, that he's not in that new yeah. york city no more yeah so he's like he's gone out to like hackensack which is in new jersey yeah also referenced in brewster's millions that's where that film starts i haven't seen that film for Gosh, <laughs> probably about 30 years. Oh no, I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this pimp just boozing his rest of his life away. Yeah, so I saw an interesting take on this one that he drank scotch whiskey and died behind the wheel. Shut up. Well, he's, he's having his meal out of a brown paper yeah. bag, isn't he? But yeah, that was one take I saw on this one, which I loved, obviously. Yeah, that's amazing. Didn't really go much further than that. He's a bit of a mess, this guy. Yeah. When he's talking about his piece on Avenue D, is that one of his employees? Is that a gun? What's he talking about? Yeah, I think maybe he's trying to, even though he's completely lost his ways, he's still trying to make money on the streets. He's yeah. forcing a woman to 
Oh, it's just, it's, there's no good way to explain no. it. No, it's just a really, yeah, it's not a jolly song no. at all. No, no. It doesn't even sound jolly either. No. What I quite like about it, though, is it's got a really long outro. Yeah. And I imagine, like, leaving the dive bar, leaving the song playing gently in the dive bar as you're kind of walking away from it. For me, it conjures up a really powerful mental image of, like, a, a specific time and place. Yeah. And it's this kind of smoky dive bar, this blue shuffle, this kind of whiskey, murky underworld place. But it's, yeah. it's very evocative, this song. It really reminds me of, there's a show, it's just started its last season, The Deuce, which is David Simon, who did The Wire, and it's about the sex industry in New York in the early 70s to, I think, the mid-80s. This song just reminds me of the tone of that, where it's just dark and seedy, Mm -hmm. and there's this whole other lifestyle happening in the city. You kind of have to scrape past like the big buildings and the chrysler building and you know whatever and then you're just like oh actually this city's got a really dark underbelly Mm. yeah and it would have done back then as well it's not new york city is a lot tidier around the edges now but back then it was really dodgy yeah, the wild east. Really, yeah. <laughs> so there's a few little things in this song that I really love. There's the hand claps. Absolutely love me a hand clap. Love yep. a hand clap. Love a cowbell. If you listen carefully, there's this synth in the background, but it's like a, it's almost like a hurdy gurdy. It's this sort of drone in the background. Yeah, just adds this kind of fuzzy layer to it, which I just love. I absolutely love it. But yeah, this is not a jolly song no. at all. This has got absolutely nothing to do with Doctor Wu. But every time I think of this song, I think of the Vic and Bob sketch, Doctor Shakamoto. <laughs> Which is where Rick plays a disgraced plastic surgeon who gives the lady from the Sue Ryder shop big mechanical wings. And that's why I think every time Dr. Wu comes on. I was quite interested when I looked at the lyrics of this because there's a reference to spending the last piaster I could borrow. Yes. And piaster was... It's like a silver coin, isn't it? Yeah, it's a silver coin in Middle Eastern countries. But you could get, in Vietnam, you could get paper piastres. And so I think that's a very cryptic reference to Vietnam. Being in Vietnam, being strung out in Vietnam, maybe after the war, maybe not going home. Holy shit. Because this song is like, Definitely about heroin. Definitely about heroin, 100%. And so I think this Dr. Wu, that's like the drug dealer. That's that he's calls himself Dr. Wu. He's this, this like fascinating, enigmatic character. And this guy is just really relying on him. So I understand that Dr. Wu is a real person or was a real person. Ah, okay. But again, you never know. No. And I- I do wonder whether Steely Dan, whether Don and Walt just threw absolute bollocks into the ether about their stories and their songs and what happened and their influences. Because Dr. Wu was a real person. He 
may have helped them with their addictions in the 70s. Right, okay. But it obviously didn't work. Yeah. But they used to have kind of like rock and roll doctors in the 70s, didn't they? Yeah, I they think... They would just give musicians like really massive B12 injections to like <laughs> just help them like get through their lives. Maybe that was all you got. Yeah. You, just, oh, you didn't actually get any help to come off drugs. You just got loads of vitamin B. Yeah. It sounds great because it progresses, this song, doesn't it? Because yeah. it starts off with Katie Tried. Yeah. And then it moves along to Katie Lied, which is, yeah. you know referencing the album's name yeah is katie a person is katie a euphemism is katie heroin because wow katie is heroin <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head okay that's what i that's what i think so i haven't seen any theory that says that katie heroin mm. but katie tried and then katie lied but later on kind of implies that that dr Wu started taking heroin okay. and you know katie's really sweet and kind and you know but actually she's a nightmare and can you hear me dr Wu? has she kind of got to you have you been you know are you under katie's spell now as well yeah he's medicating himself now yeah that's what that's what i got from this film yes film? Song. <laughs> man yes that's exactly you just cracked the case of thank you song. very much that was amazing yes that's exactly what it is isn't it yeah, I think it is. Where he's kind of like, because in the first chorus, like he's questioning. Are you with me, Doctor Wu? Are you really just a shadow of the man that I once knew? Are you crazy? Are you high? Or just an ordinary guy? He's almost like putting this guy on a pedestal mm. because he's just giving him really good heroin. <laughs> um, and it ends up that Dr. Wu just gets high on his own supply. High on his own supply. Because there is actually a really amazing bit on the outro, and it's actually Walter, the first appearance of Walter on vocals. Yes. Oh, no, he like, is. Screaming at the end, like on the outro, right on the fade out, screaming, Are you with me, Dr. Wu? And it's like really amazing. It disappears so quickly. You're just like, what, what was that? What happened? What happened? It was Walter singing. Yeah. Or what shouting. Or shouting. Yeah. So the sax solo on this. Yes. By Phil Woods. This is my fun fact. He did that in one take. Nice. I love that. Yeah. So I'm not massively familiar with Phil Woods and I went off on one. And if you felt so inclined, there's an incredible video on YouTube of the Phil Woods Quintet live in Hamburg in 1988. I mentioned, in, I think, in episode one that I was raised in a folk music environment. I was also raised in a jazz environment. My dad's a massive trad jazz fan. I'm quite familiar with trad jazz, more modern jazz. He's always been quite dismissive of modern jazz. He's not a massive fan of it. So again, I've kind of naturally isolated myself from it. So whenever I discover modern jazz that I really like, I'm always like, oh, holy shit, that's really good. So. Yeah, I recommend that video of the Fullwoods Quintet. It's quite astonishing. Nice. We'll put a link to it in the in the notes. But yeah, I'm just looking at his like kind of selected discography and and looking at people that uh, albums that he played on. Fullwoods. Yeah, he played with like mm. Quincy Jones and yeah, Leila Schifrin and Oliver Nelson. Loads of really cool stuff. Yeah, I need to check him out a bit more. Nice. 
but yeah, it. it's, it's a really nice sax. It's almost like the saxophone kind of mirrors just things getting out of control and a yes. little bit like high drama. Mm. think we're about to get to the song that we probably don't want to talk about yeah but we got to talk about it so probably so, probably trigger warning sexual abuse yeah and i actually find this song so creepy i find it difficult to listen to yeah i kind of had a flavor of the lyrics but i didn't look at it word by word and i thought it was about something else but I'm not going to go into that because I feel that that kind of deters from what this song is actually about. In terms of the Steely Dan um, trick of recording a jolly song that's actually incredibly dark, I think this is the zenith, or Nadir, depending on how you want to look at it, because it's got this incredibly jolly kind of calypso vibe to it, and yeah. it's you know it's really kind of fun, and the chorus is really catchy, but actually it's about a guy that gets kids to come to his den and watch old porn films which is just really horrible yeah there's no way to describe this song it's just when you look at the lyrics it's just a really horrible three minutes well everything about it even you know when he's singing come on and it's got that kind of creepy like needling i wrote insidious sax because I think it is. It's that yeah. kind of cre- it's a real creepy sound. You know, the old canon, soon you'll be 18, you know what I mean, line as well, which is just really gross. Um, Bobbing for apples can wait. It's just ugh, it's a yeah. really horrible, creepy song. There's the demo version of this on the compilation album that you mentioned in episode one, John. Yeah, Citizen. Which is really different. Actually much darker. I think that the vibe from the demo is much more fitting of the theme. Uh, this song's just fucking horrible. It's really that, grim. That's what my notes say. My notes just say fucking horrible. Yeah, I've written gross with yeah. five S's. Yeah. It's, and also it's... and also sick, which is a little bit daily maily, but it's not a very nice song. No. Should we move on? Yes, I would very much like to move on from talking about this song. Yes, let's do it. Let's jump on cool. to Your Gold Teeth 2. This is a mind blower. This is a mind blower. I don't really know where to start on this one because it's just, it starts off sounding like music from a video game. So I imagine this playing on the credits of Outrun <laughs> at the start. Oh, man. The but soundtrack to Outrun is fucking amazing. I know, it is an absolute banger. It's got, it's just got this like real majestical jazz open 
with synthesizer, time changes. It's just, there's just like a lot packed into the beginning of this song. And the mad time signature, when it progresses from the outrun intro, is, oh, I love it. And I love going, what time signature is it? (laughs) Is it, is it 6-8? I'm terrible at counting out time. So, so I thought just... it was I thought it was three four, but actually I think it's six eight. But yeah, it's really. But then sometimes you never know. Sometimes it's any old. Yeah. Thing. Some like the pyramid song by Radiohead. I thought was some mad crazy time signature, but apparently it's not. It's just three four, but it just sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> and they're but trying to it, trick it. Because but then it can, even though you could say it's like three four you can still like play it in a different way yes you can so we won't get into that too much <laughs> no no i ain't got a b in gcse music so <laughs> all my stuff's just bluff really <laughs> <laughs> i love the jazz drums in this yeah they're gorgeous oh so yeah. nice it's like the scene on the beach it's beautiful this this is a song where where you were saying about glimpses of royal scam and asia this Mm. this like really makes a good case for that yes Um, but what i like about it is that it's a sequel song yes it is a sequel song but it doesn't answer any of my questions about your girl teeth (laughs) in fact it makes it gives me more questions they throw out your girl teeth and see how they roll that bit and obviously this came much earlier but it reminds me of the oh brother where art thou soundtrack Mm, that yeah yeah, that whole thing um what i was thinking about is that your gold teeth is like really dismissive and nasty and he's demeaning a woman saying to her you know do you ever get so desperate do you like gamble with your gold teeth? teeth yeah but in this, it's, it's almost like that she has kind of turned her life into something amazing. And he is in awe of of how she is living her life. And it's yeah. almost this like mystical, supernatural element to it. And it's, it's very kind of the lyrics it opens with. Who are these children who scheme and run wild? Who speak with their wings? Secrets they trace in the sky And why do you tremble each time they ride by You know, something out of a fairy tale. So I read one theory about it is it's somebody discovering the jazz scene. Nice. Because nice. when they're talking about the wings, is that Donald Bird maybe? Yeah. This is a theme that pops up every so often. And it's this idea of like hearing jazz for the first time or hearing bebop for the first time and being so overwhelmed by it because it's a very, very jazzy song. Mm. It kind of makes me think, is that what this is about? Yeah, maybe it could be. It's kind of like, you know, just an older dude maybe discovering these young, crazy jazz cats. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. I remember my first experience of jazz literally made my head explode and my life hasn't been the same since <laughs> mine was listening to jazz classics in stereo the a to z of jazz classics in stereo nice. every single sunday evening nice literally every single sunday evening growing up <laughs> amazing mine was just teenage 
drinking, just out at the right place at the right time. That's probably the best way to sum it up. We've all got to find jazz in our own ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is a good way. This is a good in. Steely Dan is. Yeah. Because they they use it in such a incredible way. They're quite reverential. Yeah, they are. When they talk about it, they talk about it as if they're the only people who listen to jazz. Yeah. And the only people who understand it and who understand and love jazz. But obviously that's not true. I think that's part of their appeal is that they are trying to kind of give jazz to the masses in their own way. At the moment, especially in the UK, we're going through a real jazz renaissance. We are, and it's great. It's amazing, and it's, it's really, like, blown my mind over the last few years because I've always felt like jazz was a little bit of a secret. It was like a kind of secret club, and, like, not everyone could get it, and you could play somebody a jazz record and they'd just be like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, there's all these kids in their 20s which are just, like, taking it and just running so hard with it yeah yeah they're almost essentially doing the same thing that Walt and Don were doing you know they're 27 you know the 27 they are still you know I'd regard a 27 year old as a kid they're just passing the baton Mm. the jazz baton the jazz baton yeah (laughs) that sounds like a like a wine bar from the 80s the jazz baton yeah lots of like white people with dreadlocks <laughs> worst kind yeah the worst kind cut off your dreads <laughs> this song is the absolute highlight of the record for me it's just i just fucking love it i just love every single part about this song i think it's probably mine too because the uh, the next song can you fucking believe this sorry because i when i read the lyrics to this i was just like holy shit yeah they wrote a fucking blues song about the fucking nazis and there's very little nuance in this song yeah even the the name chain lightning yes because i'm like hang on is that like the ss symbol i did i did have to just google that so if anyone happens to search my hard drive at any point I'm not a Nazi. <laughs> it's all for research. <laughs> and it's and it's quite interesting because the the first verse and the second verse are in the past. Verse one is in the past and, ver- yes. and verse two is in the future. Yes, exactly. Just where he stood. And it reminded me of when I went to Berlin and I did a walking tour and they like take you to this like just shabby looking car park. And they're just like, oh, Hitler's bunkers underneath this car park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been to Nuremberg. So I've been to oh, the wow. Zeppelin Fields and actually been in one of the, you know, I don't even know what would you call it, where Hitler did some of his speeches. Yeah. And they don't spend any money restoring it. They yeah. just sort of stop it from completely disintegrating. That's basically all they do because they don't want to obviously invest significant amounts of money in something that's so horrendous but they took out a line just before the second verse which clarified things a little bit and i've seen two conflicting versions of this story one is where they say 30 years ago and another line is where they say 40 years ago yeah so it opens with 40 years ago which clarifies this past present idea i say this every episode but what the fuck guys Throwing in a song about Nazis in your album. 
but it's quite powerful. And I think especially now where we actually have people, a lot of people, a lot of white men saying that they're Nazis, they're quite yeah. happy to do that and they're quite happy yeah. to say Kyle and go yeah. into all of that. They're quite shy in it though, in this song, that when they're talking about going back, they're kind of combing their hair and they're kind of like, you know, not making a big deal out of it because they don't want any, because it's, it's illegal yeah. in Germany. Yeah, um, but they say, so, if they say it feels so good. They're dickheads, aren't they? Yeah, but I'm but, sure Walt and Don didn't go on a tour of Nazi. I'm sure they didn't. Greatest hits and just Donald's oh, this Jewish. is amazing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and again, you could listen to this song and not have a fucking clue. No, it's just like sleazy blues. Yeah, yeah. I just read the lyrics and my eyes were like popping out of my skull like i just couldn't believe what i was reading <laughs> don't question the little man yeah don't question it's it. really powerful yeah, it's really really powerful we don't really scratch the surface much of their social commentary but being so young and coming up with such astute observations about humanity yeah it's quite remarkable really i feel that pre-internet they just had time to invest into reading and listening to music and thinking and talking mm -hmm. and making conscious choices about what they wanted to write about and deciding or thinking how do we do that how mm -hmm. do we and i don't doubt that that didn't happen mm -hmm. because even though this whole record just touches on so many bleak topics it's still done in a classy way yeah so then we move on to probably the most i suppose the most vulnerable yeah song on the album yeah. any world i'm welcome to yeah i think it's quite telling that that i'm welcome to is in brackets yeah and i feel like that this adds to this reflective mood that the album has overall I feel like it's a reflection of their struggle with fame and success. The line, well, any world that I'm welcome to, is that a reference to some relationships he's fucked up, maybe? I don't know. Is it about going to heaven? <gasps> oh, well, because oh, there's, I don't know. there is a Jesus and apocalypse references in this song. Okay, you might be right. Well, there's the kind of the hand reaching out as well, isn't there? Yeah, but it's, he says in verse three. Go to the park, watch the children playing. Perhaps I'll find in my head what my heart is saying. A vision of a child returning, a kingdom says i think i'll go to the park watch the children playing perhaps i'll find in my head what my heart is saying a vision of a child returning oh a kingdom where the sky is burning honey i'll be there yes i'll be there okay do you know i didn't even pick that up 
that I was just like Christ reference. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, wow. Okay. Whatever he's describing, he doesn't like it. No. He doesn't like the world he's in. Anything's no. better. Days and nights. He wants to be where the days and nights are the same. Yeah. But then again, it's like, is that about drug addiction? Is that about a really? I want to say hedonistic, because head, but that's the wrong word. Because hedonism's fun. Being in a band like Steely Dan at the time, it must have been pretty wild. Yeah. And being on a lot of drugs and partying a lot and everything just blurring into one eventually would take its toll on you. Yeah. Throughout the whole album, you know, we're talking about Dr. Wu. They were trying to get off drugs, maybe, and it didn't really work out. Does he want to die? Or just be a hobo. It's like he's just like, ah, oh, you know, if I had my way, I'd quit my job and I'd just ride around on a train and wherever I get off, wherever I, yeah. essentially saying wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. Um, <laughs> to quote Paul Young. Paul Young. Um, <laughs> and um, hey, I bet you didn't think we'd, we'd mention Paul Young on this podcast. Awesome. I um, hope you're going to play a little snippet. For us. <laughs> <laughs> that whole image of getting on a train heading off into nowhere you know my dad sings a song about a thousand miles away from home waiting for a train and then he yodels but it's a real like um yeah it's a kind of americana type song it's that common theme isn't it yeah just hitting the road was this like a life for a long time is that was a lifestyle choice it was it was you could just decide that you were going to do that and just do it just become a bit of a drifter yeah so we're at the end of the album we are and got a couple of takes on this i have a couple of takes on this one too because i did think is this song about a pickpocket oh okay no i didn't get that but carry on i'm intrigued so in the first verse he says that he in place and paint my face and act like I belong here. Back the little ones and by the big ones. And gently squeeze them. With dance in place, paint my face and act like I belong here. So he's kind of fitting into the crowd. And then I was thinking he's going through a crowd and he's going into people's pockets. So he throws back the little ones, the little like wallets or money holders. And he pan fries the big ones using tax poise and reason and gently squeeze them. Okay. So I did think that I had that in my head. So they've moved away from complaining about girls to complaining about their record label, I think. (laughs) Hot licks and rhetoric is possibly the most self-aware description of their music, of, yeah. of a band's music. Like they, it's that's them. Hot licks and rhetoric. That's yeah. Steely Dan. Yeah. And I feel like it's a snide swipe at the label, kind of cajoling them into making a commercial-sounding record. Yeah. So for you know for Pretzel Logic, which is what happened, the label sort of. Not, didn't back them into a corner but they encouraged them to make a more commercial sounding record which they did and it was incredibly successful yeah i feel a bit like this song is them kind of snidely saying fuck you yeah my other take on it 
is that it's about songwriting yeah and about kind of walking the tightrope between commercial and artistic integrity yeah but he's talking about i i pawned my crown for a ride uptown so he kind of sold out to get to the top which is what they've done yeah but he knows he's going to get it back again which means he will be able to retain his artistic integrity which is then what happens on the next the next album well the next three albums actually where they are allowed and they just do what pretty much whatever the fuck they want and we get some just the be- their best work the yeah. next three albums yeah that's how i kind of look at the song but it's almost like they're sick of their style yeah or maybe the frustration of you know being a band as opposed to using session musicians mm. um, and actually just being in an advantage where they can just get the best player to play exactly what they want yeah and them kind of taking back the control of what steely dan is yeah and i get this idea of throwing back the little ones as being ditch the songs that aren't going to be successful yeah and and pan fry the big ones but i get this idea of pan frying like overcooking something yeah um and squeezing it like getting just getting way too much out of a song because that's what the label wants them to do the tempo change oh my god the tempo changes in this song are insane They completely just catch you off guard all the time. Yeah, it's a real slippery snake, this song. It, it really is. It's so orchestral. Yeah. It's beautiful. When I first listened to this properly, it's one of those songs that you can kind of like have on in the background. You don't really listen to it properly. But when you actually sit down and listen to it properly, it just takes you aback by how intricate it is. Yeah. And even that piano coda at the end, it's totally out of the blue. Mm. And just finishes the song and the album just astonishingly. And it kind of finishes the album on a question mark. Yes. Because you are just like, well, what's next? Because we've had the the jolly opening gambit of Can't Buy a Thrill. Mm. We've had the Let's Make a Really Jazzy Record Countdown to Ecstasy. We've had the tight, super tight, jazzy pop hits of Pretzelogic. And then the dark black cloud of this record. Where the fuck are they going to go next, Lizzie? Well, we know where they're going to go next. <laughs> uh, I'm buzzing. 
I'm kind of glad we've got Katie Lyde out the way because that was not a massively pleasant experience. No, it really isn't. Shit's going to get real with the Royal Scam. I can't wait. I've got a lot to talk about already. I've already started <laughs> making notes. Have you? This yeah. is good. So This is good. Yeah, the Royal Scam is just by about a millimetre my favourite Steely Dan album. I think I said at the start in the first episode that I find it really hard to rank Royal Scam, Asia, Gaucho. I find it yeah. very, very difficult because I'm just so utterly in love with those records. They are, the, they are the best albums. Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited to get to Yeah, it. I know, me awesome. too. Me too. So, yeah, so we will be back again in two weeks' time to talk about Steely Dan's fifth record from 1976, The Royal Scam. I can't wait, John. We are going to bend your brains, dear listener. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.